0: Hi, I'm Stuart, and welcome to our podcast, The Moor You Know. Our podcast will be looking into how the manufacture of semiconductors interacts with our everyday life. So welcome back to our podcast, The Moor You Know. Uh, my name's Stuart Davidson. I'm the head of marketing communications for our semiconductor market. And today I'd like to welcome a very special guest, um, Sarah. And In fact, Sarah, why don't you introduce yourself and tell the audience what you do <laughs> and why you do it?
1: Well, thank you very much, Stuart, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm Sarah Fry and I'm the head of safety, health and environment for the vacuum technique business area of Atlas Copco Group. Um, So that uh, business area includes um, the Edwards um, company, for example. Um, And um, what what I do is I um, lead the strategy and development for our uh, safety and health programme, but With massively growing importance now also our environmental and climate action programme, which is something that's really accelerating in importance for the organisation. So the vacuum technique business area has about 12,000 employees and is,
0: is roughly a quarter of the Atlas Copco group. Atlas Copco is, because some of our listeners from the semiconductor industry might not know who Atlas Copco is, mm-hmm. just give us a bit of an idea what Atlas Copco is yeah, okay. or who they are.
1: Yeah, so Atlas Copco is a um, headquartered in Sweden, um, in Stockholm. They've got about 44,000 employees throughout the world. And Edwards has been part of the Atlas Copco group for getting on for a decade now, roughly, I would say. Um, God, it hardly seems like yesterday. <laughs> it? Like since they came <laughs> up like, with them. It. Yeah. Um, so Atlas Copco is structured in four business areas. Mm. Um, it's traditional. The heart of Atlas Copco is a compressor um, business area, and that's roughly about half the organisation, and that's where they started from um, as an organisation. Um, there, and then the other three. There's vacuum, which is now. I think the second biggest um, business area, um, and industrial technique and power technique. Um, and the vacuum business area has, uh, is the newest. Um, and that was founded shortly after the group acquired um, Edwards and has grown massively um, in those um, few years. It's now up to around 12,000 employees in the vacuum Mm. technique business area. And it's made up of a lot of different sites. We're a very decentralized organization. Um, But what my function is trying to do is ensure that we've got a common standard, a common management system, that we're all acting in the same way and learning from best practice and achieving the best standards possible when it comes to those different topics of um, environment, our climate action programme and safety and health and and also other things like uh, other areas of sustainability like Mm. our supply chain um, sustainability or our business continuity programmes.
0: So So it's interesting the fact that he. I'd like us, we're going to be talking about the environment uh, aspect and I know we've worked on some, um, you've given us our, your guidance, which is great. I always say he's the person who's guiding us along that area because it was, I believe it was, um, Atlas Copco actually signed up to the science-based target initiatives. Could you, just with that, why did Atlas Copco sign up? Why did they feel the need to sign up to the science-based target initiatives?
1: It's very much a... Um it, a, an extension of the existing environmental program that mm. the group has had for a long time but recognizing that you know, the climate emergency that we face now mm. is probably the defining crisis of our time I think a very interesting fact that um, I read recently is that the the World Economic Forum produces a global risk report and their report for 2022 um, the, uh, they list global risks and the two of the top three risks um, uh, in the short term are climate related. So there's failure of climate action and also extreme weather events. So Mm. we've got Organisations like the United Nations telling us that that um, the, the climate emergency is a defining crisis of our time. World Economic Forum is saying that um, all of their members view these as the biggest risks facing humanity. Mm. So it's really important that organisations like ours take a lead and um, have ambitious targets to reduce our environmental The lead's quite, it
0: lead's quite an important thing, isn't it? Because Atlas Copco is a big group and it does have a lot of brands like Edwards within it. And, but that aspect of taking the lead is important because there's a lot of companies not signed up for the science-based target initiatives. But with Atlas Copco signing up for them, and Edwards being part of the Atlas Copco Group, and everyone knows semiconductors has just grown hugely over the last few years. And that demand from the consumer for for the, 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 the chips and the semiconductors, what impact does that have on science-based target initiatives the measurements and the growth that we've got to try and deal with for example our manufacturing base
1: yeah i mean that's why the um signing up to that initiative um is committing to really ambitious targets because the um the only targets does
0: ambitious mean scary or is ambitious (laughs) um,
1: ambitious means challenging challenging okay
0: we'll go with that one instead yeah
1: yeah because um many organizations and in fact Alice Copco in the past have had targets which are relative to your growth, so you mm. you'll you'll get better per product you produce or per mm. per dollar turnover. Um, but the environment doesn't care about that. The environment only cares about absolute reductions. Mm. So the targets we have now through Science Based Targets Initiative are absolute, and as you say, that's incredibly challenging. So we've set targets for 2030. Um, and in that time scale, it's quite likely the organization will have doubled in size, at,
0: at least through growth and through acquisition. Does that sort of, so just sort of because I'm that aspect of, let's say, if we've got one factory and we set these growth targets, then we build a second factory, that must make your job and Atlas Copco's job more challenging, let's say, <laughs> rather than the scary, more challenging. How, how do you, you know, we forecast the growth of the city, no one saw this coming, this massive growth. Mm. Did that impact the way Atlas Copco were thinking and, and, and as part of was being part of Atlas Copco group? That's going to have an impact on our measurement, is it not?
1: Yeah. So before we joined up to the uh, Science Based Targets initiative, there was a lot of modelling done about um, what the expected growth of the organisation was and how we can... First of all, to establish our baseline of exactly what our emissions are now, and we now know that, and we know that over our entire value chain, over ninety-five percent of the emissions in total are from the product use in the field. So that's mm-hmm. the, the, and then that's virtually all electricity use. So mm-hmm. that by our customers. So that's a really important focus area for us. Um, but we have. Um, the way that carbon accounting works. We have two targets set through the Science-Based Targets Initiative. One is for our direct emissions um, from our facilities, Mm. which are known as scope one and scope two. And that's mainly for us natural gas use for heating, but the big one being electricity use at our factories. And then the scope three is everything else in the value chain all the way from our suppliers through making the product and its use in the field. And that's where it's the 95% of that being um, the electricity use in the field, we have a target to reduce that by 28% by 2030. Mm-hmm. And we know what actions we need to do, we know what levers to pull to do this. Um, and to start by talking about scope one and scope two, those are the direct impacts of our sites. What we need to do, use there is renewable energy. So yeah. um, it's all about using 100% renewable electricity in our facilities. Um, and also of course minimizing our our use um, and then avoiding burning fossil fuels so avoiding using natural gas for heating moving from um, diesel or petrol vehicles to electric vehicles mm. and the good thing about all of those changes is if we make those um, we're once we move to the um, renewable energy, it's got very low emissions. So you're sort of decoupling what your sites do from growth. So Mm. once you've made those switches, your site can get 10 times as big, but you're still going to have virtually no emissions. So
0: but but, so one of the things, and so I've been on a bit of a journey with this as well. And and as you know, and the the term renewable, we'd visited on some of the previous uh, podcasts, the renewable energies. um, And I think the challenge is, is that You know, I think some of the facilities are putting solar panels on the roofs and they're putting... What what other things are we looking to do on the factories around there?
1: So, yeah, it's a a very good point that um, over the past few years, we've got ever so much better at, when we build a new facility, really building a lot of environmental features into those. Mm. And all the new facilities that we build are... um, assessed against one of the main green building standards. So there's a standard called BREEAM in um, the UK, a standard called LEED in the US, which is all Mm. about designing in features like solar panels on the roof or, somewhere on the site, but also very good levels of insulation, mm-hmm. uh, energy efficient lighting, um, and things like rainwater harvesting. So a lot of our sites are being built now. They've basically got enormous swimming pools underneath the car park, <laughs> which collect all the water
0: and- helps uh, and with your mental health, obviously. You could go for a swim at lunchtime- Underneath Just eat, the car park. But don't heat it up, let it be natural uh, natural uh, water in yeah. there. So, um, so that yeah, that is really important. But that's a good question where does the rainwater go if you're, you're re-harvesting where do we store it do we seriously store it underneath the factory? Yes,
1: yes there's a massive one at Clevedon for example <laughs> <That's> <laughs> In the extension, to cough
0: um, um, where's the one in Clevedon just for our listeners to know is that yeah. I, I, I spend a lot of time in Clevedon <laughs> so, in Somerset um, in England
1: yeah Clevedon's an factory we've had for many years, and we're now making a huge extension on the side of Mm. it, which is probably making it about 50% bigger. Um, And as part of that extension, um, there's a huge, great big, um, as you say, swimming pool that's been dug in the car park area of that, which will collect all of the rainwater and then that can be used as grey water in the building and for irrigation at the site. Ah, right, okay. Um, and um, in addition, you know, solar panels on
0: on the roof and high levels of insulation. Was, I had and this might be a rumour and I hope I'm not going to put my foot in it, but the heat pumps as well as part of the... Yeah. a variant of heat pumps. That so that's
1: really- one of the options for when I talked about not using natural gas for heating. Yeah. So um, there are different systems that you can use, but basically they're mostly electrical. Um, and it would be um, you can use ground source heat pumps, you know, where you drill down into the ground and take heat mm. out of the uh, out of the ground, or you can have air source heat pumps. Um, but you can also those require investment in an entire new heating system, yep. uh, which is something you can do when you've got a new building or perhaps when your existing system comes to the end of its life. Mm. But if it's not possible to use those, there's also the option to use biogas. So you can purchase gas which has been generated from waste materials, for example, instead of North
0: Sea coal. So is, is growth comes with a few challenges then, and, but it sounds like, Atlas Copco of plan. You mentioned scope one and two. The challenge seems to be with the smaller C than the scope three. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest challenge Absolutely. of scope three? From if you if that's part of the accountancy part of yeah. it, what's that big challenge? So- we, the, the manufacturing base of Edwards mm. would face.
1: Yeah, you're quite right that the scope one and scope two, as we've said, it it's very small compared with scope three, mm. and also we. Have very, you got a figure on that? It's it's about one percent compared with right. out of our total probably, mm. whereas the the electricity use in the field is about ninety five percent of the total. Right. So, I mean, we it's important we still look at it because mm. it's what we're directly doing, but um, in terms of impact on the planet, the. The use of the product in the field is yep. a really important one. And there are really three things that we can do around um, reducing the impact of our products in the field. Um, the first of those is to have the most efficient um, motors, you know, the ones that use yeah. the least kilowatts. And that's something that we've always traditionally focused on each time we have a new product um, generation it's more efficient than the previous one it's mm. part of the the design specification for it the other area that we can focus on is the hours it's running for uh, and that's things like green modes and
0: um intelligent control of the product what, what, what would be a green mode? it would
1: be a standby
0: type mode so also oh, if you're not using it the mm, um it's, um it's there's no power yeah. to it
1: so traditionally with a lot of um business to business industrial equipment, in the past, it would have the advice would be: once you've got it, just switch it on and leave it running. Really, because mm-hmm. that's the simplest thing. It, you don't need to worry about it; it's always there. But obviously, that's not good for uh, energy efficiency or for the environment. Yeah. So, as we go forwards, um, we have more and more electronic controls around our products so that they only operate when they're actually needed for your process or whatever. Right. And there's huge scope there to. Really reduce, um, you know, if you're going from a starting point of 24/7 running, you might only need it be, be running eight hours in an entire week to actually achieve really what it needs to. So, but you've got to have some very clever controls to interface with what your processes. So that's a um, a challenge area for us and, a, and something to focus on.
0: So when you when you with the SBTI, just if we could look a little bit more into it because it does. Sound challenging, but the the aspect of that, um, you know, you were saying about the scope one and two, we could control scope three, is a bit of a challenge. What kind of figures are we looking at percentage savings?
1: So um, that's something that we've publicly committed to through the Science-Based Targets Initiative, uh, and they then hold us to, and that's a great advantage of the system that we're, we're, we're transparent in what we're doing. Um, but we have two targets. Um, the, the the first target on Scope 1 and Scope 2 is uh, the larger target, so we have to make a 46% reduction there.
0: Well, that's quite big. Oh, it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And
1: it's an absolute reduction as well. Uh, that's by 2030, and it's based on a... 2019 baseline, but actually that's the one that we're very confident. I thought you said this
0: was challenging. This is still scary to me <laughs> sitting on this. Is, are we still sticking with the word challenging here? Yeah.
1: Well, actually, on Scope 1 and Scope 2, it sounds you know, scary, mm. especially as we're all growing as an organisation, but we know exactly what we need to do there, and it it's all about renewable energy use. Mm. And the good thing is once you switch to renewable energy, your carbon emissions become extremely low, almost zero. Mm. So you've then decoupled your carbon from your growth. So it doesn't matter how big the organisation goes. If you're using 100% renewable energy, you're going to be fine to achieve your targets. But the one that is really difficult is Scope 3. And the Science-Based Targets Initiative recognises that. Mm. So it allows us to have a a smaller number as our target there. So our target is 28%. um, And um, these targets are chosen because they align with um, climate science. And Mm. so that bigger number of um, 46% ensures that we're in line with um, a global temperature increase of only 1.5 degrees. The 28% is what aligns with well below 2 degrees. Um, And... So, but but because that scope three is so difficult for us to yeah. impact, we have have gone for the most aggressive target on our scope one and scope two, slightly less aggressive on scope three. Do you think that's
0: why companies like Atlas Copco are very brave to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and but Atlas Copco have always led the way in there. And, and Edward's been part of Atlas Copco. It's it's a great thing because there's the benefits of that big organisation. What do you think worries companies about signing up for that challenge? Because even when we're chatting now, is that, that scope three seems to be an area yes. where people are nervous about?
1: I, I think so. I think yeah, it's a number of things. It, it's scope three and perhaps the fact that you c- can't influence it you mm. or you don't feel you can influence it. And what's really significant in
0: your scope three? You mean influence it? Do you mean that because you don't have power over the... Where do you get your electricity from? For well, because example?
1: scope three is indirect right. by definition. So, and for us as an organisation, because we're a manufacturer of machinery, our scope three is all about the electricity use in the field. But if we were an accountancy firm, mm. our scope three might be about um, our employees commuting or yeah. our business travel. That might be the biggest thing, but always it's going to be indirect. So it is harder to influence. And I think the other thing that you know is challenging and might um, be a reason that organizations don't sign up to it is this thing about absolute reductions. Mm. You know, if you've got a company that's planning to, you know, grow 10, 20% year on year, um, how can they achieve an absolute reduction? So um, but you know, it's it's vital that we all sign up to this because if all the organisations in a country sign up to it, it enables the government to achieve its targets, and it enables us to stop that um, catastrophic global warming that will you know ruin the planet for
0: our children. So one of the things we've been exploring are the other podcasts, and it seems to be that there's everyone's got their part to play from the consumer demanding green mm-hmm. products, maybe and the manufacturer. Do you think that will drive the scope three take up from other companies if the consumer starts driving that, saying, I want the green and I want you to prove it? Because SBTI seems to be a, a part of proving that you are, mm. your credentials are green. Do you think more of that will come through?
1: Yes, I think there's a huge amount of um, consumer demand. And then within industry as well, um, The you know, we're a business-to-business organisation, but our, the businesses that we're selling to are asking us to um, have aggressive targets because their customers are asking them to have aggressive targets yes. and where our cu- our customers are our scope 3, but then what we do is also our customers scope three. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's yeah. all we're going to linked. get
0: into an accountant <laughs> accountancy debate again like the I mean, accountants always end up in <laughs> the um, i I think for me i i am really interested about the 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 consumer partner but what I keep hearing through all the environmental discussions we have there seems to be the science based target initiatives or what other parts of any other organization signed up to there seems to be a common thread at the end of it and I don't know if you agree or not but this decarbonisation of our energy supplies. Mm. If we, do you think that would really help us in the end if we really did do absolutely, that?
1: Absolutely, because it for us anyway. It, it is all a, all about energy use. Mm. Our scope one and scope two is about our own energy use in our facilities, mm. and our scope three is virtually entirely about energy use at the customer sites. So, decarbonisation of the grid is is absolutely key. Um, and that's why it's really important that that we and our customers purchase renewable um, electricity, but also generate it if we can. So mm. if we can have our own solar installations or if we can join up in power purchase agreements with um, electricity generators, so we're funding additional um, renewable energy, it, it's all about that additionality and just getting more of the the international
0: grid to be renewable. Yeah. So, and finally, Sarah, what would you say to other manufacturing companies that haven't yet signed up to an initiative like the SBTI?
1: Well, what I'd say to them is they really should consider it because, um, as we know, you know, climate change is such an important issue for us at the moment. And unless all of the commercial organisations in the world have these aggressive targets and as we've adopted, mm-hmm. um, we're not going to be able to achieve achieve our uh, the, the commitments that we need to to keep the world below that one and a half degrees global warming that will prevent catastrophic climate change. So I would say, don't be scared of it, but make sure you evaluate what's happening in your supply chain, and you know think about what you can do to reduce that, which will be different for different types of organizations. But it mm-hmm. it's just it. It's really vital that we, we all address this and we work together to achieve what we I think
0: that's, that's a good point to finish on, I think. There. It's, again, it's coming back to that work together, that collaboration, and it's the only way we're going to have, uh, meet our environmental targets. So with that note, I think we'll end it there. And again, Sarah, thank you for being um, our guest today. and uh, It was very informative. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Great to talk to you. Good stuff. Thank you.
0: And we'll speak to you again soon.
1: Yeah.